cross is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of your story. There is hope. There were miracles that happened as Jesus was dying on the cross, lives that were being impacted for time and for eternity, and there were lives that were changed on that Sunday morning when the tomb was empty. The tomb being empty means because he lives, we will live also. Do you know that life? Have you been born again of that hope in Jesus? Well, we'll look at that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but what? He was a secret one for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. Now, he was rich, so we shouldn't imagine that he was alone. He probably had servants helping him. But notice, Nicodemus came also, verse 39. Nicodemus was that man that came to Jesus by night. He was a religious leader, John chapter 3. He said, Lord, we can see that you're from God. The things that you do make that evident. And Jesus doesn't even respond. He just says, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter back into his mommy's womb and be born again? And Jesus has said, no, if I can paraphrase, I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. Well, Nicodemus obviously became a follower because he came also, he had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 100 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place, 41, where he was crucified, there was a garden. You can see the garden setting. This is called the garden tomb in this photo. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish Jewish day of preparation, they had to hurry because the Sabbath was coming at sundown. Because the tomb was nearby, They laid Jesus there. Now, when you go to Israel, you don't know for sure if these sites are authentic or not, and I'll just say that to you up front. But it is interesting, what they believe is Golgotha is about 100 yards from this location. So let me just go to the next picture, if you would. This is probably what it looked like. They would roll a major stone against a hewn-out tomb out of the rock, if you go to the next one. This is a picture from the inside There would be a a place where they would actually lay the body. Go to the next one. This is actually a sign if you uh, get a chance to go to Israel and you walk into the tomb. This sign is there. He is not here. (laughs) He is risen. Amen? So Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple. Are you you a secret Christian? Nobody really knows. (laughs) Nobody at work knows. Nobody at school knows. Why? Have you ever had a moment in your company where you meet somebody and you both confess Christ at the same time? You're like, you, you, you! And you've been working together for 27 years. There should be some evidence that you're a believer. Amen? In your company. Like maybe you pray over your Cocoa Puffs or something. (laughs) 
That's a cereal, by the way. You didn't know that. So here's Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. And these are men that stepped up, but they stepped up after he was dead. Go back to Mark 15. There's a lot of us that we reflect on our lives and you know, think about the, the position of these two men. Um, all of them, it would appear, did not believe in a resurrection that was coming in a few days. Even though Jesus had said it, so can you imagine, just, I want you to feel for a second the regret. I mean, that hurts, doesn't it? When you feel like, man, I'm not gonna see Jesus again. This is their thought process until the end of the world or until I end up in the presence of God. And so that had to be hard to take. These two men had stayed in the shadows and now they come into the light. And we are told why they withheld. They did it because of fear. There's so many people that fear drives their decisions not to tell family about their commitment to Christ. Some people are even afraid to admit it to a spouse. Verse 44, back in Mark 15, Pilate wondered if Jesus was dead by this time and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. The centurion is mentioned in Mark 15, 39 as making a confession of faith that Jesus was truly the son of God. We have the women. We have, we have uh, Joseph and Nicodemus. The women followed him kind of in the background. Joseph and Nicodemus were secret disciples. They, they kind of lived their Christian life out of fear. And then when Jesus was dead, then they stepped into the light, which sadly a lot of people wait until a memorial service to say how they really feel about somebody. Now's the time to tell somebody who's alive that you love them. I'm not bagging on anybody here. We all have our regrets, but I'm just saying this. You're alive right now. Don't assume that people around you know how you feel. Men are famous for this. I thought it, therefore it must, they must know. No, that's not the case at all. The centurion had watched Jesus die and he ascertained, Pilate did from the centurion, that Jesus was dead and he granted the body to Joseph. The centurion said, yes, he's dead. And the centurion is another man who apparently is converted as he watched Christ on the cross. Maybe you're like the centurion. He was a tough man, a hardened soldier, responsible centurion, comes from the idea of a sentry. He was responsible for 100 soldiers. He was something like a, a captain in the army. And he was converted. I want you to see the different people that come into the body of Christ, women and political and religious leaders and centurions. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your country of origin, or even how you responded to the gospel in the past. What matters is will you believe and follow him now? Will you? I mean, each of these stories should give us hope. Joseph bought a linen cloth, 46, back in Mark 15, he took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. It was easier to roll it uh, into, into the groove than to um, push it away. I don't know if Joseph knew this, but Isaiah 53, 9, written 700 years before all of this happened, says his grave, the grave of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, 9, was assigned with wicked men, plural, Yet he was with a rich man, singular, in his death, because he had done no violence, nor there was, any, was there any deceit found in his mouth. 
Could Joseph of Arimathea know that he was fulfilling prophecy? I don't know if he knew it, but if Mary had come and gotten the body, we assume that Mary was not well-to-do and there wouldn't have been a rich man's tomb and the story would have been different. So Mary, whatever the reason is that she doesn't ask for the body is all a fulfillment of scripture because Jesus had to be buried in a rich man's tomb and it just shows you the little detail that God gives to show you the Bible is true. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, 47, were looking on to see where he was laid. So they had looked on at the crucifixion site. They were watching, and they saw where he was laid. Now remember, if this is all, uh, if the pictures I showed you are accurate, or even if they're not, we know that the tomb was close by to the crucifixion site. So it wasn't a big distance. They marked the location of the tomb, which is important because some skeptics of the Christian faith say, maybe the women came to the wrong tomb. No. They knew which tomb it was. It was a very prominent location. It was in a garden. It was a rich man's tomb. It was hewn out of the rock. They knew where it was. They had marked the location. So it wasn't one of those, oops, are we at the right tomb? No, it wasn't that at all. And when the Sabbath was over, now we move into Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices. They had to wait till after the Sabbath was over that they might come and anoint him. So now it would appear that these faithful and loyal women did not believe that the job was done properly and they took great care of the body and they had a limited amount of time before the sun went down and it was actually the Sabbath when they couldn't do this. And just keep in mind, for those of you who have read through the Old Testament, that to touch and handle a corpse did what? It made you ceremonially unclean. And you were going into a holiday, Passover, where you wanted to enjoy the festivities. So everybody who was participating in this technically, even though to touch the body of the Messiah Technically, we would say, you know, of course, it was a great honor for them to do this, but from a Jewish perspective, this made them ceremonially unclean. So there was a lot going on here that these were all participating in. But the women wanted to make sure that he was well taken care of, and they wanted to anoint the body, which was really an act of love. They weren't coming expecting a resurrection. They were coming to pay respects and anoint the body. And very early on, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They came on what day? The first day of the week. The first day of the week is not Monday for the Jewish culture. What is it? It's Sunday. Isn't that kind of interesting? Sunday. <laughs> anyway, just put an S-O-N there. So the church began to meet on Sunday mornings. Sunday was actually a work day for the ancient Jewish people. The, the Sabbath was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, and then they went back to work on Sunday because that was the first day of the week. So the evidence is that the early church met early in the morning on the first day of the week. Why did they do that? Why did they move from Shabbat or the Sabbath gathering to a Sunday to honor the resurrection? And nothing less than the resurrection would have moved the early church to meet on Sundays. And so they gather on the first day of the week, and they came, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So the ladies were talking, no men around. Of course, they were all hiding behind closed doors, right?
Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, and we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633, and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So the ladies were talking, no men around. Of course, they were all hiding behind closed doors, right? The women come and they have a practical question. You saw the illustration I showed you, the size of that rock was significant. And so they said, who's gonna roll away the stone? That's a very good question. It's not a question I would be discussing as you're going to the tomb though. Would have been nice if you had a plan. This sounds more like a man than a woman actually, doesn't it? Did you get directions? No, (laughs) we don't need it. We have those phones now. That lady in the phone will tell us where to turn. It's a glorious invention. Anyway, who will roll away the stone? That was the question. And here we're going to get the answer in Matthew 28. Just a few pages back, Matthew just before Mark. All four Gospels, by the way, deal with the resurrection of Jesus. And there's only one other story that all four Gospels talk about other than the resurrection. This is Bible trivia. Anybody guess it? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, 28.1 in Matthew, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I love that. (laughs) Angel came down, right? Rolled away the stone. Angels are strong, right? Whoop, stone's gone, and he sat down on top of the stone. His appearance was like lightning. Now he seems to get there before these ladies show up, at least to do this part. And his garment was as white as snow. White is the color of heaven, by the way. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. I would like video of this. He comes down, moves the stone away, sits down on the rock, and the guards are like, (laughs) shaking in their sandals. The word shook is the word where we get earthquake. And so they were shaken. Sunday morning, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. And he sat on the rock. They didn't have to worry about rolling away the stone. God would take care of that. By the way, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let the witnesses in. Amen? He didn't need that because he has power. R. Kent Hughes tells a story. He said, when my kids were little, I used to throw pennies into our swimming pool. 
and they would, the boys would dive into the pool and they would collect as many pennies as they could. They'd hold their breath for as long as they could and it was a game, right? And they would collect these pennies and then when they couldn't hold their breath anymore, they'd go to the top and they'd come through the top of the water. And he used that illustration in his commentary to say, that's kind of how it was with Jesus. Jesus went down into the tomb, but it was impossible for death to hold him, and he came up through the tomb, if you will, and exploded into life. It was impossible for death to hold him because he is life. Amen? And so he came out of the tomb, but the angel is there really to help the first witnesses. And so... He rolled away the stone. Back to Mark and we'll finish it. Mark 16. So here come the ladies to the tomb. They're expecting just to do some anointing and to take care of the body. But what they were about to get would change their lives forever. It says, and looking up, Mark 16, 4, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. All of a sudden, the stone's been moved. You might have, might have read some books before. Who rolled away the stone? Who moved it? Well, that had to be a question that they were asking. But the stone was rolled away. And entering into the tomb, verse 5, they saw a young man. This is a description of an angel. And just, just so you know, I know that some of the uh, accounts in Scripture say there's one angel. Some say there was two angels. May I submit to you, there's probably a whole lot of angels there. I think they just appeared or showed themselves when they wanted to. But just like at the birth of Jesus, when there were many angels, there was one, and then a, there was a myriad of angels who were singing glory to God in the highest. Well, I think there was probably a lot of angels at the tomb. Was there one? There was two? Yeah, there was both. And wherever there's two, there's one. You guys seemed to like that the last time I made that powerful, logical argument. So they entered the tomb and they saw a young man sitting at the right, sometimes angels are described as men, wearing a white robe and they were amazed. Now this guy, if you're a VeggieTale fan, was way to go, <laughs> real shiny. And he said to them, now can you imagine meeting an angel? Now, I know some of you guys have angel stories, but can you imagine meeting an angel? How you doing? I don't know what you do. You shake their hand, I don't know. But they were amazed, they were blown away. In fact, when people see angels, they're often just on their face. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen, he is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Come and see the place where they laid him. He's not there. This is the tomb that you saw. This is the location. This is the stone. And if you want to examine, take a good look. He's alive. He has risen, and the early church learned. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, we need some coffee. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the capstone in the arch of Christianity. 
If Christ be not risen, we are of all people to be pitied, for we are dead in our sins, 1 Corinthians 15. But he is risen, and he's become the first fruits of those who are in Christ Jesus. And because he lives, you will live. And that, that loved one that you had to deal with the loss of them, if they're in Christ, they will live. Amen? Amen. This is what it means. The story does not end on Friday. It does not end on Saturday. Sunday has come. And he lives. Hallelujah. Amen. And so the, the angel said, <laughs> Sometimes you want to respond to the angel like, what do you mean don't be amazed? <laughs> Empty tomb, stone rolled away, you're real shiny. <laughs> you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He's risen, he's not here. Take a look. They're invited to investigate. By the way, I'll just say this to you. Don't be afraid to investigate your faith. Don't be afraid to look at arguments for the resurrection. They're very compelling. Do you know what most modern critical scholars are doing now? They have to come up with alternate theories to the resurrection. Some of them say Jesus wasn't really crucified. It was a twin. I'm serious. But you know what? The angel just said in verse 6, Jesus the Nazarene who has been what? Crucified. No, Jesus was crucified. And Jesus rose from the dead. Some people say, oh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He literally swooned on the cross. This was called the swoon theory. And it's swooned out the window now. It, it doesn't hold any water. It's very clear that Jesus died on the cross. That's why they didn't break his legs. That's why when they pierced his side, blood and water came out. All of these are attempts to try to explain an empty tomb. The early story was the disciples stole the body. No, they didn't. The disciples were behind closed doors hiding. They didn't steal the body. By the way, if anybody would have stolen the body, why would the grave clothes be there with the little head napkin neatly? Why, if you're a grave robber, if you tried to steal somebody, wouldn't it be better to keep the body wrapped to move it? So all of these things, by the way, the, the tomb was also sealed, right? And the guards were there, so nobody was going to get by the guards. These are all attempts to try to explain an empty tomb without a supernatural resurrection, and it just doesn't work. And then the angel says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Now you have the women, you have the centurion, you have Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and here's a guy that we know his last interaction with Jesus, his name is Peter, was a very sad one. He was walking through the courtyard. He had denied the Lord three times and Jesus and Peter in the book of Luke looked at one another and the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord that you're gonna deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This man was the leader of the 12, the spokesman, very brave, big fisherman, and he had had what he would probably deem the tragedy of his life. He thought he was gonna make good with his word. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you made a very strong statement about your faithfulness and your ability, even though everybody else blows it and everybody else bails, you won't. You're a serious Christian. 
And then maybe you were confronted with your own humanity and weakness and you fell like a ton of bricks. And you're wondering, man, is there a way back? I want you to see the, the beauty. Obviously, the, the angel had gotten a message from the Lord to tell Peter. 1 Corinthians 15.5 says that the Lord appeared to Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. Now, Jesus will appear in Jerusalem, but he will ultimately appear to the bigger group in Galilee. And Peter needed a word of assurance. He had had the failure of his life. Do you remember when uh, the other gospel writers say that they hear about the empty tomb, that it's John and Peter that run to the tomb, remember? And Peter is behind John. Now, we wonder, did John write in his gospel just so he could say, I beat Peter in a running race? (laughs) I don't think so although it's always possible. (laughs) I think it was because Peter was probably lagging a little behind thinking, if he's risen, what do I say to him? What will he say to me? And remember, Jesus will have a dialogue with Peter, one that's recorded in John 21 when he says, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Well, Peter needed a word of assurance, and maybe you do as well this morning. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you've fallen on your face. Be of good cheer. The Lord can bring you back. And they went out, final verse, and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, we're going to see, as Mark's gospel continues, that this will turn into them, uh, they are told to share it, the message, and they will, but they were trembling and astonished, and they, they had fear, and their, their immediate reaction was, oh, we don't even know what to do, what to say. Eventually, Mary Magdalene, we know, does go and report and so forth. They departed, Matthew 28, ate quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, in Matthew 28, 8 says, and ran to report it to the disciples. He's alive. Because he lives, you will live also. I don't know where you find yourself on the spectrum of faith today. Maybe you find yourself with Mary Magdalene, maybe with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. Maybe you find yourself somewhere with Peter. But wherever you find yourself, I would just say this to you. Every day is a Christian is a new day. Amen? It's a day of hope. A day for a new start. That's what resurrection often means to me, is that I can always start again. I can wake up in the morning and say, this is a new day, Christ is alive, and I'm going to live for His glory. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store 
at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to today's program. Follow Walk in Truth when you download the free Radio Scribe app today.